Welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for May 19th, 2022. This week's data on consumer spending and industrial production sheds light on the health of our economy, which is still being impacted by the pandemic and geopolitical shocks. Nationwide's Chief Economist David Burson and Deputy Chief Economist Brian Jordan take a closer look at the recent data, including retail sales and industrial production. How has inflation impacted overall sentiment? Does the consumer still have the wherewithal to spend? And what's the outlook for the months ahead? And now, here's David Burson. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm here with Deputy Chief Economist Brian Jordan. We're going to have a discussion of what's going on with the consumer, concentrate on the recent retail sales release, as well as what's going on with businesses. And we have uh, the, uh, the recent industrial production release there. So, Brian, let, let me start with you and let, let me ask you some questions about the consumer. We, we can start broadly. How is the consumer, do they continue to have wherewithal to spend? I think the proof is in the pudding. We just had the retail sales report for April showing a very healthy and very broad-based increase in sales last month. Overall sales were up by 0.9%. The details were strong. That 0.9% came in spite of a price-driven decline in gasoline station sales. So we've seen some other metrics recently, most notably the consumer sentiment numbers for mid-May, the first May reading of consumer spending sentiment showing a decline to the lowest level since 2011. So I think what we're seeing here is a case of watch what we do, not what we say. Consumer sentiment has been battered by inflation, rising interest rates, but practically consumers are still spending. I think that reflects the strength of the labor market and the strength of the household balance sheet. You know, you, you raise a couple of interesting points there on inflation and interest rates. Let's take them in turn. How much of the increase in retail sales do you think in, in recent months has been just because of higher prices? And how much are consumers just actually uh, buying units of things? Well, we can look very simply at the, um, the numbers for April in, in particular and see a fairly healthy, more than healthy increase in sales. And at least for one month, perhaps this won't be sustained for the next couple of months and it doesn't reflect necessarily what happened in the prior months, but at least for one month, overall inflation was relatively well behaved in April. 0.9% increase in retail sales, a 0.3% increase in the consumer price index. Even if we strip out food and energy and look at the core CPI, core prices were up by just 0.6%. So this wasn't just an increase in nominal retail sales last month. It was a fairly healthy increase in real retail sales as well. I think that is correct. Let's take now interest rates. So if you look, in, and you mentioned the consumer balance sheet, if, if we look at, say, household debt service ratio or, or the broader financial obligations ratio, that's plummeted over the last year to, to all-time lows, suggesting that consumers have a lot of wherewithal to borrow. Now, some of that is consumers stop borrowing. Some of it is record low interest rates. Interest rates have picked up again. And we know that most consumer borrowing is, well, not for houses, but for other things, credit cards, autos, et cetera, tend to be in the shorter end 
on the yield curve. And, and the Fed has promised us that that short end is going to go up a lot. Are you at all concerned about Fed tightening and the potential for those higher rates to push debt service ratios up? It, it's a growing concern, but at this point, not an overwhelming concern. If we look at prior cycles, for example, we see that consumer credit continued to grow in the early and even the middle stages of Fed tightening cycles. And it was only when the broader economy rolled over, reflected especially in the labor market, the consumer borrowing slowed or in many cases temporarily reversed. And so we can continue to see, I think, health here as long as the labor market remains healthy, as long as the economy more broadly continues to grow. Perhaps there'll be some slowing, there'll be some ebb and flow as we go forward and interest rates continue to rise. That latest consumer sentiment number notwithstanding, I would expect that confidence more broadly will be healthy going forward as long as the labor market itself is healthy, and that's going to feed into consumer borrowing as well. well let's look at the other side of the, the consumer balance sheet, the asset side. You know, household net worth has climbed to all-time highs and by significant margin, helped with uh, the stock market going up and helped with house prices going up as well. But you know, since the beginning of the year, equity markets have gone down. Of course, we we have seen lately big drops in, in, uh, in the equity markets and we're pretty close to uh, a bear market, but house prices keep going up, even if even if home sales are, are drifting downward in part because mortgage rates are rising, but also because there are very few homes to buy. So what can you tell us about what's happening to consumer balance sheets, uh, particularly on the asset side? And, and if equity market continue to go down and if house price gains slow so that, that the um, positive side of the consumer balance sheet starts to, to grow less quickly. What does that mean for consumer spending going forward? I think there are a couple of, of important points here. Num number one, household net worth, as you mentioned, recently hitting an all-time high, not only hitting an all-time high, but growing at more than twice the typical rate in the early stages of an economic expansion r relative to prior economic expansions. And so there is some buffer here. There is some room for net worth to pull back a bit on falling equity prices, perhaps some slowdown in home price appreciation, and still be well positioned relative to his, the historical trend. The other thing is that there's been a lot of academic research on wealth effects. And what, in general, the consensus has found is that the wealth effects in housing are greater than the wealth effects in equities, many of these studies have found a high single-digit wealth effect for home price appreciation. So for every dollar you make in your home value, uh, you'll spend five to 10 cents of that. And a low single-digit wealth effect for stock market gains. So for every dollar you make in the stock market, you'll spend zero to five cents of that dollar. So there's a bigger wealth effect in housing than there is in equities. Housing perhaps again would, will slow as interest rates continue to move higher, but we're not seeing anywhere near the decline in home prices that we've seen recently in stock prices. Perhaps mo most importantly, um, the linchpin, again, for, for me, continues to be the labor market. We perhaps have a high single-digit wealth effect in housing, a, a low single-digit wealth effect in the stock market. But we know from the savings rate that we've got a 90% plus income effect in the labor market for, for income gains 
through through jobs. And so as long as we continue to see these healthy job gains, and we've had a couple straight months of 400,000 plus um, on non-farm payroll employment growth, jobless claims have ticked up a bit in recent recent weeks, but still in the low 200,000 range, still suggesting a very tight labor market. As long as that's the case, consumer spending very broadly should should remain healthy. So, David, let's turn from that to the production side of the economy. It looks like, I think, from, from many respects, that consumer spending perhaps will be challenged a bit going forward, but should, because of a healthy labor market, remain healthy. What about the production side of the economy? We just had a fairly healthy industrial production report. What do, what do the recent numbers very broadly say there? Well, you're right. Industrial production, um, and we numbers for April, were up very strongly, up uh, slightly more than, than 1%. And if we just look at manufacturing, which is what most people think of when they think of industrial production, it was up by 0.7%, which is a pretty solid gain. And, and over the year, industrial production is up by 5.7%. That's a very strong number. Now, it's not as strong as it was last year in the recovery from the COVID downturn, but but to a large extent, that's done. And, and what's important here is that manufacturing production, even now two years away from the COVID downturn, continues to move forward at a pretty solid pace. Uh, and then add in mining, well, we know that oil prices are up a lot, and um, mining is primarily the uh, the search and production of of oil and and shale in the United States, natural gas, and and that's up nicely as well, up 1.6 percent in April, and uh, you know up by by almost nine percent over the last year. You know we're we're not producing as much oil as we did. Uh, fracking is still important. It's not as important as it was, but we're still increasing output as oil prices go up. And then finally, with industrial production, uh, utilities are, are primarily driven by what's happening with weather. So, you know, in the winter, if you get warm months, you don't have to heat your house as much, utility output might go down. In, in the summer, if you get hot weather, people have the air conditionings on more, you might have utilities producing more. And in April, it was a, a, a relatively warm month and uh, in parts of the country, particularly in the South, uh, utility usage was up as people started to use their air conditioners more quickly. But but that's really just a, a weather thing. So we look at, at manufacturing industrial production to get an idea of the, the production side of the economy and then mining to see what's happening uh, with the impact of oil prices. I think that's that's a great point on manufacturing in particular. Obviously, auto is a big chunk of overall manufacturing output. What can we glean from these numbers about how well auto producers are weathering the chip shortage, which has been going on for much of the past couple of years, and also the challenges that have been posed by the war in Eastern Europe? It seems, at least recently, um, auto output has been growing at a healthy clip, despite um, some of these constraints. That, that's right. We've seen a, a in recent months a uh, a pretty good pickup in auto production, and you know autos are basically computer chips on wheels. So um, you need the computer chips to go in there to produce modern autos. Although interestingly, some of the manufacturers recently have given price breaks on autos if they don't have all the chips in there. So you don't get all the bells and whistles, but they'll they they can produce the car that way. 
the good news, though, is that more recently there has been a pickup in uh, chip production and the uh, ability of the auto manufacturers to get computer chips. And that's allowed for more complete pickup in auto production. We're still not back to where we were. Um, and if you go to buy a car, well, you may see a few more cars on, on the lot now than you would have uh, over the last six to, to 12 months. It, there's still many fewer cars in inventory than we'd normally see. But the key here is that the production of autos is up because they're getting more computer chips. And as the computer chip manufacturers continue to ramp up production, we're likely to see that continue to allow the automakers to increase production more. And the good news there, not only will people be able to get more cars and light trucks, but the rapid price gains that we've seen for um, light vehicles is likely to diminish. Great, great points. And we've been obviously uh, buffeted the last couple of years by um, not only uh, curtailed production, but higher prices, perhaps some signs in, in these numbers that we're getting some relief. We're in the process of getting some relief on, on both of those fronts. David, what about the business sector more broadly? If we look at the ISM reports recently, for example, we saw a bit of a, a pullback in the ISM manufacturing index. We saw a bit of a pullback in the ISM services index. We know that there are a lot of fears out there about recession. Those fears have been growing recently. Are these early hints, these declines um, that we saw last month, early hints um, of, a, of a bigger pullback in, in the business sector? You know, when you talk about declines, the, the indexes themselves did go down, but they're still well over the 50 break-even. So the way they, they do their surveys, ISM does, does the surveys on this, figures over 50 continue to show expansion. And, and both manufacturing and services continue to be above 50. So they're both expanding, they're, but they're growing at, at a somewhat slower rate than they were before. Interestingly, the um, alternative measure of manufacturing done by S&P Global, manufacturing uh, went up for, for April. And, and you know, com compared with the decline in the ISM, and and the difference between those is the the survey nature of them. So they're both good surveys. They tend to reach out to different sorts of firms, but they're both telling us, particularly on the manufacturing side, that output continues um, at, at a decent clip. Yeah, uh, the trend may be somewhat down with the ISM, but it's not close to the 50 break-even point. So manufacturing. Even looking at the ISM and you know, business activity more generally, looking at the ISM and certainly with the S&P Global data, continue to grow at a pretty good pace. The, the concern I have, and you brought this up with the services side, um, is looking at the NFIB Small Business Confidence Survey. Many of the small businesses, yeah, there are lots of manufacturers there and, and, and people who produce things there, uh, but there's a heavy concentration in the services industry with the uh, NFIB numbers, and uh, those continue to, to slide. You know, they're still historically pretty good, but they're the lowest they've been for a while. And I think what we're seeing is the service sector taking uh, at least a little bit of a hit. In part, you know, we've had a, a modest pickup in some parts of the country in uh, new COVID infections. Fortunately, the, uh, the latest Omicron variants uh, have, have proven to be wild more transmissible, less serious. So I don't think that that 
decline in the service sector, or that slowdown in the service sector, it's not declining, that slowdown in the service sector is likely to persist, but it is right now. And then if you look more generally at the, uh, the small business confidence survey, businesses are very concerned about inflation. Um, they continue to be concerned about the, the lack of job applicants. That's still their, their number one problem. And it goes back to what you were saying about the consumer at the beginning of our discussion. You know, as long as the job market remains good, consumers are going to spend. But as long as the job market remains good, it's going to be difficult for businesses to be able to find workers to produce at a faster rate. So I, I think that suggests that business activity is likely to remain pretty solid for a while, but it's going to be difficult for businesses to be able to increase production unless they increasingly use uh, machines for for their production, you know, effectively replacing workers that they can't find. Those are great points. I think in normal times, we would be thrilled with an ISM, for example, an ISM manufacturing in the mid-50s. We would consider that to be robust in many cases. And ISM services in the high 50s, um, you mentioned the S&P Global Manufacturing Index in the high 50s. We would consider these numbers to be robust. So, David, putting it all together, when we look at the consumer, the business side, and look at where these numbers are in aggregate, what do they say about the possibility of near-term recession? If we do a Google search for recession and recession fears, we're going to see a lot of recent stories popping up, um, and we see a lot of increase in, in people searching for those terms recently. Given all these fears, what do the numbers say in aggregate about the near-term risk of not just a slowdown, but an outright downturn? I, I think that the numbers on both the consumer side and the business side tell us that the, the chances of a near-term slippage into a recession, th those odds are very, very low. You know, anything can happen. You know, something could, could happen geopolitically that could knock us into, into a recession quickly. But in the absence of that sort of external shock, the odds that the economy is going to slip into recession anytime soon, and, and by that, I, I think uh, I would say anytime this, over the remainder of this year, are, are very low indeed. You know, but as you noted, the key here to consumer spending, and that's two-thirds of all spending in the economy, is the job market. So that's what we need to keep our eye on. As long as the job market remains solid, people have jobs, incomes are good, then the economy is going to continue to grow, and, and the chances of near-term downturn, near-term recession, are going to be pretty low. Well, Brian, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, and I want to thank all of our listeners for joining in today. Have a great day. The information provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, or financial condition, or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecasts reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide N and Eagle are service marks of the Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright 2022. Nationwide.